I've listened to Parallel Lines by Blondie since uh, episode 20 of the podcast. And I listened to it once yesterday. Welcome to Spin It. everybody and welcome back to Spin It, the record ranking podcast for people who would rather be listening to music. I'm James and that's Connor. That's me. And this week we're getting back into the often talked about and never really touched spin cycle. We came up with this idea way back on episode 20 when Miley Cyrus covered a Blondie song. We said maybe we'll do a Blondie album next because we, we found it through the Miley Cyrus episode. You know, kind of similar to how Connor found Miley Cyrus through the Dua Lipa episode. Yeah, this would be like our third cycle, but only our first official one. Right. Since we figured out what the spin cycle was, this is our first spin cycle album. But it's three cycles deep. Right. Do you know Blondie? I mean, you didn't know Miley Cyrus before the spin cycle. I knew Miley Cyrus before the spin cycle. I just didn't, wasn't, didn't really know her music. Right. Hannah Montana. No, I do know Blondie, though. Um, I mean, who hasn't heard one way or another, right? Everybody that's watched a Swiffer commercial in the last decade or two. <laughs> You're right. One way or another gets around a lot. What I didn't realize is how popular some of these other songs are. And I actually, I think I had heard Hanging on the Telephone, too, from this album. But, of course, other than Heart of Glass, I really didn't know much from this album before diving into it. Fair enough. Yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about Blondie, and then we'll talk a little bit about Parallel Lines, and then we'll talk a little bit more about Parallel Lines and Blondie. It's kind of the point of the podcast, you know? That's that's the format. Really, we're just going to continuously talk about Blondie and Parallel Lines until the episode's over. Yeah. With a brief intermission for tomfoolery here and there. Yeah, that's basically the gist of it. Blondie is a mid-70s new wave pop disco funk band from New York. By 1978, which is where we are at Parallel Lines time, the band was made up of Debbie Harry, the lead vocalist, and the namesake Blondie, Chris Stein, who played the bass and the guitar, Jimmy Destry played the keyboards and sang backup vocals, Frank Infante played the guitar and sang, Nigel Harrison played the bass, and Clem Burke played drums and percussion for the band. A little bigger than our usual band. This is a six-piece in 1978. The bass played the brass, the chub played the tub, the fluke is the Duke of Soul. Uh. Yeah, it's relevant <laughs> with the new Little Mermaid coming out. When does that come out anyway? I don't know. They've been talking about it for years, I feel like. May 26th, 2023. So we've got <laughs> a whole... So far away. what? <laughs> we oh still got gosh. like almost a year. No, I don't know about almost a year. Half a year. That is so far away. So that's not about Blondie. That's tomfoolery in the middle. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's the tomfoolery. That yeah. Anyway, those six came together from a smattering of different bands, and they named themselves Blondie because that's what truckers would use to catcall Demi Harry when they tried to get her attention as they were driving by. They'd say, hey, Blondie. It's very creative. Very creative. It is for a band name. Don't get me wrong. It's a good band name. It's not creative for a catcall. <laughs> Their debut self-titled album came out in 1976 with Private Stock Records, and in those early days, they had a pair of albums out, and they got really popular abroad, actually, especially in England and Australia, which is due in part to them opening on tour for David Bowie and Iggy Pop. That kind of launched them in international stardom before they really broke into the market in America. Their second album that they released, actually I thought was a weird coincidence given the whole spin cycle thing and why we listened to Blondie in the first place because we found them on Plastic Hearts. Blondie's second album is called Plastic Letters. A little correlation. Very plasticky. Yeah, plastic everywhere. Bad for the ocean. Little Mermaid. It's all connected. <laughs> That's not even going in the episode. <laughs> At home, though, in America, they were really, really struggling to break through. They were kind of this underground band, right? Still up-and-comers in the States until they released Parallel Lines. Parallel Lines came out in 1978. It was Blondie's third album, and it was finally their triumphant album in the United States. It actually would become... Thank you for the fanfare, yes. Triumphant. Very triumphant. It would become their best-selling album, and it remains their best-selling album to date. It's a new wave pop album that really 
kind of helped blur the lines between pop and rock parallel lines was supposed to be the name of an album track but that song got cut they decided to keep the lyrics though on the album sleeve when they released physical copies interesting it is interesting isn't it the album was recorded in new york city in a studio called the record plant which actually also hosted some pretty notable recording sessions apart from blondie including sessions for metallica Eminem, they recorded Fleetwood Mac's Rumors, nice. Guns N' Roses' Appetite for Destruction, Kanye's College Dropout, Take notes. and a lot more. And this actually, Parallel Lines was a pivotal album for Debbie Harry because she was particularly focused on improving all of her phrasing and her dynamics and her tone. You know, really wanted to expand her vocal capabilities but it put her under a lot of pressure you know sometimes she would spend time away from a session just in tears just crying and like getting it all out of her system same debbie harry same you spent time listening to this album crying no i just spent times away from our recording sessions just crying oh from all the pressure i believe it yeah i can imagine (laughs) when i'm not here in studio that's ironic because we're not even together and we have no studio but uh when i'm not here i'm crying that's that's pretty sad because i just want to be here with you audience oh that's sweet you took that sad thing and turned it around love me (laughs) (laughs) yeah well for debbie harry not quite the same sentiments she was just really emotionally invested in the record right all these songs she had a hand in creating and they really hit her pretty hard there are a lot of emotional songs on here and i can imagine you know you pour your heart out into them however many days a week and it's probably exhausting but all that emotion paid off Parallel Lines entered the charts at number 186 in the U.S. in September 1978, but in the next five months, singles like Picture This, One Way or Another, and Heart of Glass made their way all the way up to number six in the United States and number one in the U.K. That's a huge jump. Yeah. The the album to be at 186 and singles to push it all the way up to top six it's certified platinum actually both in the united states and the united kingdom rolling stone put this album at number 140 on the greatest albums of all time list in 2003 so we'll see where it ranks for us above or below rolling stones ranking who's to say blondie would go on to put out eight more studio albums after parallel lines for a total of 11 records and they've sold more than 40 million albums worldwide as a band they made it into the rock and roll hall of fame in 2006 And they actually earned a star on the Rock Walk of Fame on Sunset Boulevard. They've earned two Grammy nominations for Call Me and Eat to the Beat. And Heart of Glass made it into the Grammy Hall of Fame. They picked up a Juno Award and another nomination for Heart of Glass and The Tide is High. And they earned, here's another first for us, uh, the NME Godlike Genius Award in 2014. I get that award every day. You frequently receive the Godlike Genius Award. The new one gets delivered in the mail every day. Is it from you? Maybe. It's from the mixtaper. Oh, yeah. We send them to each other. You trade Godlike Genius <laughs> Awards. Just so you can feel a little better about yourselves. Very, it's a very expensive hobby. That's sweet. Wow. I have a whole wall full of trophies. For the trophy cases. <laughs> other trivia tidbits. Blondie's had a pretty significant touring career. They've headlined nine tours so far, and then they've co-headlined tours alongside bands including the cars pat benatar garbage devo and others they're really getting out there yeah yeah nine headlining tours and all those co-tours that's getting out there the way you said that you're like they're really getting out there like it was they were up and coming oh no no they're not <laughs> like that's the way it's like man they're really they're really starting to get out there you know have some success it's like no no really certain that's already coming on Blondie's already up and come yeah that's done their heyday is probably behind them I just mean you know that's a lot of tours let's get everybody's favorite Connor proclaimed godlike genius the mixtaper in here and see what he's got in store for us this time on Factor Spin hey it's me a dastardly god and genius well i don't know about all that genius you know it's all debatable depends on the week depends on the week mostly yeah it does how do you feel about blondie you feeling confident this week just trying to gauge where you're at i'm always confident whether the confidence is founded or not is always yet to be seen well that's a great point this episode of fact or spin this round whatever you want to call it i'm infectionately calling close encounters of the debbie kind close encounters of the debbie kind Okay, sounds another alien-based round. I'd also like to point out we're hitting a milestone right now. Yeah? Yeah, the the fact that you are about to give me 
represents the 250th round of Factor Spin. Whoa! Yeah, if you include all the B-side cuts and all the, the regular episodes, this will be fact number 250. Wow. Supposed fact 250. Allegedly. If it's true, it will be fact number 141. If it's a lie, spin number 110. Oh, all right. Well, then let's let's hit you with it. Yes, let's. She had a close encounter with Snoopy. Snoopy like the Peanuts dog? Yeah. Okay. I wasn't. I mean, we've talked about Snoop Dogg on Factor Spin before, and I just wanted to make sure we were talking about Snoopy, Joe Cool, the the World War One flying ace, yep. bane of the Red Baron's existence. How does one have a close encounter with Snoopy? He is a little bit of a comic strip character. By getting stuck in a costume of Snoopy. No, wait. <laughs> Not another one of these. Not another. So that sounds like, uh, if you're, listen, that's closer than a close encounter. You are Snoopy. That's a pretty close encounter. Why is she dressed up as Snoopy? For a punk wedding. <laughs> wow. So some punks are having a wedding and they say, Blondie, we want you to perform, perform? Or just attend our wedding? Attend. Blondie, we want you to attend our wedding. Can you wear the Snoopy costume? Well, I, I assume Debbie Harry picked out the costume herself. What, okay, was this a? Was she the only one in costume, or was this like a no. costume wedding? This was a costume punk wedding. Thank goodness. What was the costume like? Was it... I don't know. Snoopy, to me, is like cartoonish. Very like mm-hmm. large and proportionally weird. And so in my mind, I think the best way to dress up like Snoopy would be something maybe inflatable. You know, like those big inflatable mm. T-Rex costumes. What was this Snoopy costume like? It looks like at Disneyland or other theme parks where they got the co- characters in the caricature costumes, like your Barneys and your Mickey Mouse costume, um, like mascot costumes. Felt and mascot style, yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Oh my yep. gosh. Did she have this on hand or did she like rent it, get it specially made? What's the deal? <laughs> well, I doubt she had it on hand. Well, you never know. <laughs> but I don't know. I, I don't know if she bought it or rented it. I do not know. Okay, and, and why Snoopy? Is she a big Peanuts fan? Is this the wedding of Charles Schultz, what are we doing? Joan Jett, David Johansson, and Debbie Harry all went as peanut characters to Joey Ramone's punk costume wedding. Of course, Joey Ramone has a punk wedding. Okay, and then who's everyone else dressed up as? Who's Joan Jett? I, I guess I should have looked that up, huh? I bet you there's a picture somewhere. Well, I, I bet there might not be. Well, Joan, if I had to guess, Joan Jett would have been like Lucy, right? Well, probably. And I, and then, and then maybe David Johansson was like Charlie Brown or something. Could be, could be. Or Linus. Now, did you say she got stuck in the costume like Randy Travis? Yes, she got stuck. Got stuck how? In a limo. I Okay, see, when you said this about Randy Travis, he just couldn't do the zipper. And I pictured him getting stuck like in the door to the bathroom, you know? <laughs> yes, yes, I remember that. And now, and now this one, I imagined it was the other way around where she couldn't get out of the costume. But she actually <laughs> got stuck getting out of the limo. So... What happened? Did they push or pull her out? Did she just have to, like, de-Snoopy and try again? Yeah, she had to de-Snoopy. Whoa. So, I guess more accurately, the Snoopy head got stuck in the door frame of the car, mm-hmm. of the limo, and so she had to, like, take the head off, get out the other side, and they had to push and pull the head out. Why would you go to a wedding and you couldn't see anything? It'd just be hot. You're getting stuck in doors. Because it's legendary. It is legendary. And, and, and why would this be a close encounter and not just a normal fact? Is there a difference? Uh, well, we'll get to why they're cl- all of our facts are going to be close encounter themed. Okay, well, if that's all you got, I think I'm going to say this one. Weirdly enough, I- I'm kind of leaning fact. Kind of leaning it, but are you going to go full in? Yeah, I'll go full fact. This is, I don't know. I, I can't imagine why this is true, and so it has to be true. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, on our 250th supposedly true fact, you got this one wrong. This is a spin. (laughs) What a spin. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That's a bold lie for you to tell. I I didn't think you would lie about it because I thought it would be so obvious that I would see through it. Yeah, that's why I did it. So what inspired this one was I found on r slash peanuts a photo of Joan Jett, Debbie Harry, David Johansson, and Joey Ramone all pictured together at a punk wedding with David Johansson holding a peanuts treasury book. And so from there, I was like, well, let's just make it Joey Ramone's wedding and say they all dressed up as... Peanuts characters. Wow, good job. That was really something. <laughs> yeah. That's because it, it was believable. It was believable enough. Well, what's the next thing Debbie Harry's having close encounters with today? Uh, Debbie Harry had a close encounter with Grand Theft Auto. Grand Theft Auto, are you talking about the crime or the video game franchise? <laughs> Which one do you think I'm talking about? 
I don't know the crime. Did someone almost steal one of our cars? Well, you're wrong. It's the video game. Oh, well, okay. <laughs> I wasn't sure. Was she almost in, in a Grand Theft Auto game or something? She was in a Grand Theft Auto game. Well, that doesn't sound like a close... No, <laughs> close encounter implies that... That it wasn't there. Like, you came close. You were nearby it. Just both of these so far, she's really, like, literally been in the thick of it. So, okay, so she's in a Grand Theft Auto game. Is a Blondie song in there, or does she voice act? She voice acts. What's she say? What's she do? And which Grand Theft Auto game? Uh, it's a three-part question. First off, I guess I need to back up. Three of her songs are in-game. Rush Rush, uh, which is just one of, like, Debbie Harry's singles. Um, Blondie's Atomic and Blondie's Heart of Glass. Hey, yeah. Rush Rush was in Grand Theft Auto 3, and then Atomic and Heart of Glass were in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. I see. And and when was her voice acting coming into play? Also in Grand Theft Auto Vice City. Hmm. Played the character Doris. Oh, a named character. Full name, Doris. (laughs) Oh, no last name. Also known as Taxi Controller. Okay, interesting. Status alive. Good to know. Good to know. So you're on the Grand Theft Auto wiki. Yeah. Now, what that tells me is if this isn't true, you're just reading off about a character <laughs> named Doris from the Grand Theft Auto wiki, and it might not be Debbie Harry. <laughs> There's always that chance. Always that chance. Okay, why... Debbie Harry, did she go to Rockstar and say, put me in the game? Did they say, we want someone famous to play Doris? What do we do? I don't know. Hmm. The most suspicious of answers. A lot of different singers have popped up in Grand Theft Auto games. Okay, a pivot. Especially around the time of Vice City. They're just full of cameos of singers. Like who? Probably mainly the ones whose songs were in there. Dr. Dre uh, has a brief uh, cameo as himself in something yeah they just added him to grand theft auto online yes actually for half a bonus point a singer we have done on this podcast already that we've done yes that we've done was also in grand theft auto vice city stories which was like you know the like dlc expansion of vice city yeah and in fact they were the first real life celebrity to physically appear as themselves in a grand theft auto game any guesses for half a bonus point Oh, that's tough when did that game come out it came out uh october 29th 2002 is when grand theft auto vice city came out okay well that eliminates hank williams to <laughs> eliminate hank <laughs> Vice City Stories came out in 2006. Okay, and someone who was famous enough in 2006 to feature as themselves. Well, here's the thing that we know. I- I- I'm kind of torn because Kanye kind of seems to fit the bill, but Michael Jackson was in a lot of video games. I mean, mm. we talked about how he was in dance and fighting games. We did a, a little yeah. Instagram story about his factor spin video games. I think I'm going to say Michael Jackson. He was still alive in 2006. Mm. Well, you would say wrong, uh, but you were on the right path. It is someone we've talked about who has an expansive yet really unrecognized uh, acting history, and that is Phil Collins. Oh, <laughs> Phil Collins. Yeah. The gorilla in that commercial. <laughs> Phil Collins is in the game performing in the air tonight, uh, which was also featured in the pilot of Miami Vice. Okay, okay, that makes a lot of sense then. I think I'm going to say this is a spin. Oh, yes, back to Debbie Harry, sorry. The the, the <laughs> Phil Collins thing is a fact. That's where we're off track. I think I'm going to say this is a spin too. Back to Doris, also known as Doris, also known as Taxi Controller. Yeah, Taxi Controller Doris is not Debbie Harry. I'm saying spin. Hmm, well, I'm starting to look more and more like a genius this episode because this is a fact. No way. <laughs> wow. Debbie Harry was in a close encounter by being in Grand Theft Auto. <laughs> the closest of encounters you can have by being in the game. Yes. Debbie Harry has her own GTA wiki page, too. Uh, her full name, Deborah Ann Harry. Her status, also alive. Well, yes. <laughs> Unbelievable. Okay, so that's two things that have been closer than close encounters. Yes. What's this third close encounter? Our uh, third close encounter was a close encounter with a famous painter. So what you're saying is Debbie Harry is a famous painter. No. Does the trend hold? (laughs) Which famous painter did she encounter closely? Andy Warhol. Yep, Warhol. He's everywhere. Okay, what'd she do with Andy Warhol? How'd she encounter him? Was it in a... 
the world of painting or was he like at a Burger King and they both got Whoppers? She was the muse for his first digitally created work on the Amiga 1000. Well, there's a lot there in that sentence. Yes. So when does Andy Warhol start creating digital work? He's like renowned for his actual like physical artwork Mm -hmm. for a long time, I I would assume, before he goes digital. Uh, Mid-1980s is when he goes digital. And what's that thing that you said? The Amiga 1000. Yeah, what's that? It is basically a art program for a computer. It's a computer that he makes art on in kind of a postmodernist way. I guess. I'm not bringing to know much about art. Right. Well, it's not like it had a touch screen or anything. How did he no, do no. this? With a mouse and keyboard? Oh my gosh. He like would make the art live on stage. Like the, he'd like this whole press conference release for the Amiga 1000 and he would use its oh. tool and like on live on stage he'd make art. Well, surely he didn't do that for Debbie Harry the first time he booted it up. No, that's yeah, exactly what he did. He came out on stage and paint, painted on a computer Debbie Harry. Was she like there modeling or did he just do it like remember her? I can't tell if she was actually there (laughs) (laughs) okay but i can tell you more about how it actually works so he basically would take an image of debbie harry right and upload it Mm -hmm. onto the computer and then he used uh a program you know maybe you've heard of called pro paint i don't know if i've heard of it but it was a early painting software i mean think microsoft paint now but like for 1980 more professional yeah (laughs) and he would then use that to manipulate the images colors and like the contrast and things like that he'd warhol it yeah he'd he'd warhol it yeah interesting He's done it for several famous people since then, I believe. Uh, But Debbie Harry was the first. Why her? Supposedly. Because they were friends. Uh, How'd they get to know each other? That sounds like a closer encounter than just being painted by him. Go on. I don't know. They were friends. Fair enough. Did he do any more work of her after this? There's uh, several different versions of pictures of her done in that style. And I believe they were all done by him. Here's a funny one. We can play everybody's... Uh, second favorite Spin It game show. Guess that dollar amount. Oh. One of Andy Warhol's Debbie Harry paintings just recently sold, I believe. Oh, dear. It sold in 2011, which was 11 or... years ago. It's crazy. That's well, that's the name of the game. You got to guess that dollar that's amount. That's what I, I, I was leaning into it. Oh, I was okay. going to make my guess for $76,000. <laughs> I don't know. It's a Warhol. No, no, no. 5.9 million US dollars. 5.9 million. Supposedly. That's money laundering. <laughs> That's wild. I mean, I get it, I guess. Oh, it does say here in this article that she did pose for it. Okay, so she must have been around. I, I don't yeah. know. I guess this is this is a fact. You want a fact on this one? I don't know. I'm worried, but yeah, sure. You might have just replaced someone else who this really is with Debbie Harry. I, Andy Warhol famously did Marilyn Monroe another blondie but that wasn't digital yep 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 i guess i'm gonna say i'm gonna stick to my guns i last time i didn't trust my gut and it bit me in the butt so this time we're sticking with my gut and saying fact well no butts were bit this episode this is a true fact all right okay good the chance to keep it 50 50 is still alive indeed it is okay this is going to be the 50-50 chance here. This is yep. either you're going to tie it up on the season or we go 50-50 again for another episode. I've still got a one-fact lead on the season. Yep. Now, this fact, I would infer, based on the fact that we're doing all this Close Encounters stuff, is almost certainly about aliens or Close <laughs> Encounters of the Third Kind. It has to be, right? Tell what's This is indeed the fact that spawned the Close Encounter bit, but it doesn't have anything to do with aliens oh oh really (laughs) it's just when i read the phrase that i'm about to read to you it made me think of the close encounters of the third kind and i was like i could phrase all of these that way and make it a bit and so that's what i did let's see if the bit pays off it doesn't (laughs) oh good good to know but it's a it's a really fun final ramp and that is she had a close encounter with a serial killer is this the return of spin it legend charles manson (laughs) It is not. Which serial killer has she closely encountered? Serial killer Ted Bundy. What happened? Well, and that's a that's a loaded question. That just springs me into all the information. Well, I just want you to tell the story. <clears throat> well, way back in 1972, back when uh, you know, 
Hitchhiking was the all the all the rage. Debbie Harry got into a stranger's car in New York's East Village when she couldn't find a taxi. That doesn't sound smart. Apparently, it's not. The driver was a good-looking, well-dressed young man with dark curly hair. And uh, when she got in the car, it was summertime. And the windows were rolled up, except for a little... They were partially open at the top. Okay, yeah. And so she was like, you know, it's hot in here. I'm going to roll down the window. Uh, but when she went to do that, she realized the little window crank was not there. Which also led her to realize there was also no door handle. The little click lock thing. The little PC push in and out to lock the door. And the car was totally stripped of all that stuff. Um... So what does she do? You're in the car with a stranger and you can't open the door. What is your next course of action? She squeezed her arm out the window and opened the door from the outside. Whoa. And according to this, as soon as he saw that, he tried to turn the corner really fast to stop her, which led to her falling out of the car into the middle of the street. Wow. How that would work. They say the window was open just a tiny little bit. I guess enough to get an arm through. Yeah, enough to get an arm through, I guess. But you'd have to get your arm through to the elbow to be able to reach the door handle. Mm-hmm. And then, once you open the door, you gotta get your arm back through. That yeah. probably hurt like heck, but also probably. hurt less than being dead. I mean, hurt less than dying, yeah. Thank goodness Debbie <laughs> Harry's status is alive. <laughs> and so, did she know? I mean, obviously, he was still not, like, in custody, known right. serial killer. So she didn't know it was him at the time. Right. How'd she find out? When she read about Ted Bundy's execution years later and saw a picture of him, uh, she thought back to the incident. The whole description of how he operated, what he looked like, the kind of car he drove, and the time frame he was doing that fit exactly with her story. And she said, my God, it was him. Wow, that's Almost unbelievable. That's a pretty close encounter. Once again, you've really hit the close encounters thing on the head. Yeah, but is it true? That's the age-old question. It's the age-old question, and my age-old answer is for the 50-50, calling my shot. I think this is a fact. She close encountered with a serial killer for the 50-50. I think she fell out of Ted Bundy's car. (laughs) I guess I'm going with it for the 50-50. Well, on this episode for the 50-50... We are back to 50-50 for the season. This is a spin. This is, wait, this is a spin? Yes, but barely. (laughs) I was going to say, I was not, listen here. You listen here and listen good. I was going to do you the honor of pretending that I didn't know that that was true. Because I knew that she was almost kidnapped by Ted Bundy. What did you change, you little dastard? (laughs) I didn't change anything. Simply, according to every article I found, that th- that rumor, that uh, uh, legend, has been debunked. Really? It is not a true story. It's not? Yeah, because I also had heard that before and thought it was a true story, but I've read several articles here that say it has been since debunked because Bundy was not known to have been in New York City and was not known to have abducted any women until at least 1974, and Harry herself later admits that the car did not match Bundy's Volkswagen. Wow. And she's come out and said later, I'm pretty sure that it wasn't Bundy's Volkswagen. It didn't have the same dashboard. It was square, but still scary. So the abduction story is right. It just wasn't actually Ted Bundy. It was some other creepy person. Wow. That sucks. You said it, and I was like, oh. Yeah, and that's why I went with it, because I, w- I played the mind game here. It's That's a story that like anybody who knows anything about Debbie Harry knows about that story. And so when I found out it wasn't true, I was like, I think I can get him. <laughs> and got you were. I didn't have to change a thing. You didn't. Wow, that sucks. We're back to even. Who's the godlike genius now? I really don't know. This week it was me. Uh-huh. I'm glad I didn't get shut out. I was very close to a shutout there. Yikes. Yeah, I went a little hard on the uh, Andy Warhol one. Probably gave out too many details too readily. No, that was fine, though, because you could have just had any... It, again, could have been any Andy Warhol model. Yeah, that's true. I was very close to going spin on that when I was on the teeter-totter. Would have been great, because that would have put me in the lead. A shutout to put me back in the lead? That would have been awesome. Well, you'll have to try again next week. Why didn't you do that? Why didn't I do that? Because that's not what I want. <laughs> <laughs> I got I got the second most desirable outcome. That's not bad. It's actually the second most desirable outcome for each of us. So honestly, this was the best thing that could have happened for both of yeah, us. Yeah, I got a win in the episode and tied things back up, but how is it a win for you for anything? Well, because let's not question the math. Really, it feels like a double win for me and a double loss for you, but it could have been a triple loss. 
The more you say it, the more it feels that way. Well, I'll see you next week with more godlike genius levels of facts and spins. You better hope so. Yeah! All right, let's get Connor, the man, the myth, the legend, back out here. Hello. Hello. You got pranked. I had a close encounter with the mixtaper. <laughs> yeah, and it did not go your way. My 63rd close encounter <laughs> with the mixtaper. It did not go my way. Let's talk about Blondie, Parallel Lines, album art. Indeed. What do you think of it? There are some parallel lines on it. Yeah, there's lines. They're parallel. They're black and white. Guys are all in mm-hmm. suits. She's in a white dress. Yeah. Blonde hair. They are. It all fits. Blondie. What's going on with the shoes? They are a little off, aren't they? They're in black suits, white dress shirts, black tie, classic look. Yeah. I'm not I'm not sure what's going on with the shoes at all. We should, yeah, because, so, the two fellas on the left have no shoes. You can kind of see the one, the one on the far left has a black shoe on, sitting on the white. The rest of their shoes are just hidden in the black, I would assume. Maybe, but we don't know. But everybody else is wearing what looks like either, like, white shoes. The one dude looks like he has, like, red laces. I don't know. Yep. Very confusing what's going on with the shoes. It, it The footwear was not where it is now. How often do you really look at a man's shoes? All the time. All the time? Tell that to Morgan Freeman. When I first meet someone, that's the first thing I look at. Mm. They say you can judge a man by his shoes. And we could judge Blondie by this cover photo. Not supposed to do that. No, not allowed to judge anything by its cover. No, no, that's for books. This is fine. Oh, okay. If it's just books, then yeah, we're fine. Yeah. The photo here was taken by Ido Bertolio. The band was not a fan. They actually said, no, we don't want that to be the album cover. But their manager, Peter Leeds, vetoed that. He overrode their decision and he said, yep, the is the one he overrode their override yeah he he rewrote it get back on that road right you know what a road has lots of parallel lines yeah it does yeah it does <laughs> and actually i think it's a good thing that he stuck to his guns and kept it people have called this album cover iconic and instantly recognizable and honestly it is certainly instantly recognizable it's probably iconic especially due to the shoes it does stand out for some number of reasons. Standout shoes and not in a good way. Yeah. Let's get into it. Let's talk about track number one, Hanging on the Telephone. One of the first Blondie songs that I knew. One of Blondie's biggest songs, actually, as a band. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty energetic start to the record, to be honest. I, I think it kicks it off very strong. The vocal happens for just a second, and then we get that explosive guitar. Kind of nice. The song is actually a cover. It's a song by the band called The Nerves, but Blondie decided to take it and then gender swap it. So that kind of turned it into a whole new level of commentary about relationship dynamics, Mm. about the partners that are expected to take charge and reach out, you know, whose role in the relationship that is. Kind of flipped everything on its head and it became a statement piece. I see. Mm -hmm. This one was released as a second single from the album, and it reached number five in the United Kingdom. Basically, the idea is, you know, this woman's calling and calling, but her man's just not picking up. She's reaching out and she's waiting. And then the twist of the song happens when he does finally pick up, and she just can't wait for him any longer, so she tells him to hang up. and get over there (laughs) i think that's a great twist isn't it like i've been hanging on the telephone just waiting waiting for you to pick up over here (laughs) and then he picks up and she says hang up right great i think hanging on the telephone i mean is a surprisingly rocky song i mean we talk about blondie is like a new wave band but this is a this is a rock song that guitar is is very like gritty especially that solo i think that really wows me with the way that its tone hits and it's actually its technical simplicity is very good too you know there's not a lot to it it's not over the top but it's very effective i think that's cool Mm. the drums full of energy and we have that really sweeping organ sound i think that that is a big part of what makes this song for me it's catchy the don't leave me hanging on the telephone refrain i like it yeah that's that's one that will stick with you i mean it's right here at the beginning of the album and that's one of the songs you'll be singing at the end. And what's nice about it is it she doesn't overdo it. Nope. In the first couple of refrains, she repeats it, you know, once. Says it a total of two times. And then she gets to the point where she just kind of throws it in there as a single line every once in a while. Between verses. She doesn't do whole eight minute long verses that's just... Don't leave me hanging by the telephone on repeat, like some artists we've done. Yeah, I'm sure you're a fan of that. So this is the sweet spot for you then. This is yes. where repetition is right on the on the borderline between not enough and too much. No, yeah, it, 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 it's tasteful. Tasteful uh, repetition. Mm, okay, I like it. Uses it to tie the song together and as a nice catchy hook, but doesn't, doesn't play it out. Solid. Now, as you mentioned earlier, 
everybody has heard one way or another, right? That's that's a widespread song. One way or another, you've heard that song. Yeah, it's gonna find you. It's gonna get you. <laughs> it's gonna get you, get you, get you, get you. <laughs> yeah. It's t- speaking of repetition and stuff in the last song, how do you feel about repetition in this song? Because that is even like more repetitive within a single line. Yeah. No, but we've had we've had this conversation before. It it's fine to use repetition as a lyrical device. As long okay. as that's not all it is. When I have to listen to you go, yeah, for eight minutes straight, just go, yeah, 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 for eight minutes, I'm tired of it. When you have a really catchy line that they she uses it to drive the pace of the song, to really ramp you up into the following line, you know, I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you one way. It really, like, gets, your, get, gets the tempo pumping. It does. And she mixes it up, right? She uses the I'm going to get you, get you, get you, get you a bunch, but, like, from verse to verse, it even changes a little bit from time to time. That's true. Like, verse three, the I'm going to lose you, I'm going to give you the slip. Meet you, meet you. Yeah, I'm going to meet you, meet you. Yep, yep. So she mixes it up a little bit. I will say there, the outro goes on a little long. <laughs> it sure does go on a little long. <laughs> it goes on a little long in the outro, but it's it's super catchy. It's iconic. It is. So, you know, whatever. Whatever. We talked about how this song is in all the Swiffer commercials. Uh, the real life inspiration for this song is not, believe it or not, it's not about a Swiffer. It's a little bit darker than that. Indeed. Debbie Harry had a real life stalker. And not the one that uh, kidnapped her, <laughs> almost. No, a different one than Ted Bundy. Man, bad luck. Yeah. She drew on that experience to kind of write this song through his eyes, like what he might have thought, you know, this one way or another thing. You know, it, it's not directly like that, right? She said... I tried to inject a little bit of levity into it to make it more lighthearted. I think, in a way, that's a kind of normal survival mechanism. You know, just shake it off, say one way or another, and get on with your life. She says that everyone can relate to it, and she thinks that's the beauty of it. Sure. What do you think? Uh, does, is there enough levity added to this stalker song? Yeah. It, it, it's light enough that you'd never really consider that it's a it's malicious origins you know yeah i think i think she pulls that off as for the everybody can relate to it part that part i'm a little (laughs) skeptical of (laughs) i i I did the same thing that made me raise an eyebrow i don't know i I think while most of the song is upbeat and light and levity you know it leans heavily on that familiar riff i think the chorus shifting into that darker more half-step focused melody really kind of gives it that little bit of an eerie edge right i'll drive past your house as the lights are down like just a, it gets a little creepier on the chorus it gets a, a little less levity and i think that's a good touch good musical parallel yeah parallel music for on parallel lines yep now picture this we talk about track three coincidentally picture this picture what track three track three i'm picturing it it's called picture this picture what this What's this? It's a song. This is a song? I don't remember that one. No, pi- no pic- picture this is a song. What am I picturing? <laughs> I like picture this. I think they take a really interesting direction with some of the musical decisions and the guitar leads especially here on, on picture this. Hang on. Let me check my notes. Let me check my notes. Let me see if I agree with you. Yes, I also I also like this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Yes, actually, yes. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. I definitely like this one. Mm-hmm. Definitely, huh? This is, uh, she's singing to a lover, talking about all these things that she wants and inviting him to picture the life that they could build together, which is where we get that hook. Picture this and picture this. All I want is this. All I want is that. It gets a little intimate sometimes. Yeah, I like uh, in the chorus all the imagery going on. Picture this, a day in December, freezing cold weather, sky full of thunder. My telephone number. Yeah, blind. she's hanging on it. One way or another. One way or another, she's hanging <laughs> on the telephone. Picture that. While picturing her lover in the shower. Well, yeah. Although she's giving that one up, which she calls her finest hour <laughs> was watching this person shower. It's, it's a good hour. Feels, uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, must have been a legendary hour. <laughs> Maybe one way or another is relatable to her. <laughs> yeah. I like that this song drops off a lot of that edge that she brought to the first two tracks, right? Between the rock songs and the creepy stalker vibes, this song is a lot cleaner, it's a lot lighter. You know, we, we pick it up in the bridge a little bit, but I think that just gives the song some texture. And I like that this song really just has a different flavor than the first two. What kind of texture? Smooth, bumpy. A rougher texture in the bridge. Bumpier. The biggest issue I run into here, I, like there are some cool chords, especially around the instrumental in this song, but most of the song bounces between two chords. Yes. Just back and forth and back and forth. That was actually one of my notes too, was that the music felt a little lacking compared to the other two. That's true. Yes. I think it's all right for a, a bit, but it gets a little old on the verses. And especially, I, I don't know if you noticed, but also 
we had constant repetition of musical motifs in Hanging on the Telephone and One Way or Another. Both of those yeah. kind of just hammer the same musical themes to death. And so to hear have those chords doing the same thing is just noticeable. Yeah, because those two chords aren't as complex as everything else. Right. And then we move into track four, Fade Away and Radiate. This was the first song on the album that I didn't have some kind of knowledge of before I listened to it for the first time on this album. Okay, Fade Away and Radiate. Yeah, and what a strange kind of departure it is right at the start. It's so floaty and droney and kind of unstructured until we hit that first Fade Away. You know, it's really just kind of ambient and bizarre. What I noticed was that Fade Away and Radiate is kind of like a 1978 version of the Phone Bad songs that we had (laughs) with the band Camino and Bad Sons. (laughs) Bad Sons had Electric Circus, Get Away from the Electric Circus. Uh, The band Camino literally just said, you're stuck to your phone like super glue. Put your head up. Look up. Uh, Look up, yeah. And and so this one kind of takes that same messaging in a 1978 context. Not that lame, just not as good as Electric Circus. No, right, it's in the middle. This is the between the two. She's criticizing and illustrating this life of someone who's just sucked into the TV. You know, the silver pictures suck this person in, and then they just fade away. Our parents' generation's fear of technology. You know, for us, it's all about video games and cell phones, but for them, it was TVs. Yeah, wrapped like a candy in blue. What a sentence. What candy was blue? Lots of candies are blue. I guess wrapped in blue. Baby Ruths are uh, silver, but they have blue on them. Yeah, I guess. Almond Joys. Oh, Almond Joys. Almond Joys are blue. I bet there's some limited time flavors of M&Ms that are blue. Skittles definitely has blue wrappers. Is blue not a base M&M color? It's, a, it's an M&M color, but the... but the Oh, the wrapper. Duh, duh, duh. Yeah, yeah. 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 M&M blue bag. Hang on, let's take a look here. Oh, yeah, look here. Yeah, the, uh, the crispy M&Ms blue. I recognize this blue container. I remember the blue... You know, you could get the mini M&M's in the little, like, tube. In the tubes, yeah. For some reason, those tasted a lot better. Yeah, they had all sorts of different colors, and the blue ones all, yeah. Anyway, that's not the point of the song at all. Sorry, that was more that tomfoolery that we talked about. That's right. Constantly talking about Blondie, except when we're not. <laughs> I think in the context of this being a, a TV is bad song and getting sucked into the silver screen, I think some of these guitar parts are actually quite cool. You know, they sound staticky, they sound charged. And it's a really unique effect with a lot of punch that kind of lands in a more literal way in a song about television. I got to talk about the duality of the line, beams become my dream. I like that. That's poetry. I would be tempted to certify that poetry. Really? Yeah. Well, and then we sweep the leg with my dream is on the screen. That really cheapens the line. (laughs) Really? That cheapens it for you? Yeah, I think so. I don't know. Beams become my dream doesn't really have uh, a big an impact for me. Wow. Okay. One of the verses alludes to James Dean, right? Uh, It's a verse that says, dusty frames that still arrive die in 1955. And in this context, I think that's cool because it's maybe talking about how even people who have died and faded away still get to have these legacies that radiate outward and onward because their work, their body of work still lasts and it outlives them on the TV. Yeah. I think that's a good twist. And then fade away and radiate, fades away and radiates. And then we move into pretty baby. A radiated baby. That's bad. Don't do that. Don't radiate your babies. This is a spin it PSA. (laughs) Spin it PSA. (laughs) Protect your babies from harmful radiation. We're back into a rocker on this one. This is much more, we're kind of back to form here. But I still think, though, this one kind of pushes the boundaries with these half-spoken parts in that intro and some of the choruses. I'm sorry, I'm distracted. I really want M&Ms now. Do you have M&Ms? Or are you just going to be distracted the rest of the time? No, I'm going to be distracted the rest of the time, unfortunately. Dang it. I love the harmonies on the first hit of each phrase. It kind of makes this song have like an old-timey 1950s pop kind of vibe. Yeah? You know, the, the yaya babies, the, the pretty babies. I feel like the harmony and stuff on those, that that lands very well. You know, this song is about a pretty baby, and our speaker is not a literal pretty baby, right? A lover, a a romantic interest. Babies are usually quite ugly. Well, yeah, some are. Our speaker is describing all the ways that they're attracted to them, exactly what they find attractive. It's pretty straightforward, even though a lot of the lyrics take on this kind of poetic quality. Yeah. For example, something like, La Dolce Vita is a magic dance, no one was listening, pretty baby... Un petit ingenue, a teenage starlet. Like, what's that? That's kind of, that's a step up lyrically. It's not very complicated sentimentally. It's kind of out of place. But it is a little out of place. Yeah, it is. You're right. Because it follows, we follow that verse of like French and magic dances and very like sweet, well-worded stuff with you with the comb. 
You look okay <laughs> in every way. Hey, that's also pretty romantic. It could be. I guess it's just a little bit of a roller coaster. I wish somebody would walk up to me and say, you with the comb. Do you have a comb? No, that's probably part of the problem. <laughs> Maybe if you carried a comb around, more people would start addressing you by it. This song's a mixed bag for me on lyrics. I don't know. Pretty Baby is okay. It's kind of here. Yeah, it's all right. It's tight. But it's pretty good. It's all right. Hey, I know, but I don't know how I feel about Pretty Baby. Just like Tim McGraw, man. Tim McGraw does, but he doesn't. Blondie knows, <laughs> but doesn't know. We're really leaning heavy into the contractions and the, the opposites here. This song felt really familiar to me, but I couldn't put my finger on it. Like, I know, but I don't know. Unironically. <laughs> actually. Unironically. I swear. I think maybe it just calls to mind Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. With the <laughs> But I really couldn't tell you. Now I've got that song stuck in my head. Thanks for that. You're welcome. Now you can think about it and think of M&M's while we're talking about Blondie and not eating M&M's. Very sad. Yeah. What I like about this song is we actually, for a second, get a prominent male vocal, which is a really cool change of pace for a second. Mm. Yeah. This is a a five-verse, no-chorus song. Yeah. I feel like it kind of needs a little something. Yeah. Some kind of refrain. Because you know what? This song is right back into that same two chord pattern. Like so much of this album has been. And I guess it's not that it's not working. I just think it's overstated its welcome for me. And we'll see it even later. I'm usually a fan of the little, little choruses, big verse format. But this one needs something. This is, yeah, very little chorus. It needs a bigger chorus. And I would say no little or of a verse. But it yeah. needs more chorus. I know, but I don't know. It's okay. This is a lower tier song for me. Not the lowest, but lower. Hey, James, what time is it? 5.36 p.m. Oh, well, now come on. (laughs) (laughs) You asked. It's 11.59, and I want to stay alive. Oh, okay. That's good. (laughs) Status, alive. 11.59 is the next track on the album, and it's another little bit of variation, which is great. It's another wicked fast song. Big props to Clem Burke, the drummer, on this one, because I think he must have just been perpetually exhausted while working on this record. They didn't give him much of a break. This was another one I really liked the instrumentals for. It was more than just two notes back and forth. You know, we had that bum, 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 bum going on. It was was fun. Yeah, it was a lot better. And I I like the melody on this one, too. It's very comfortable. You know, it it doesn't grate against you like some of the other songs do. It's comfortably grating. No, no, it doesn't grate at all. It's great. It doesn't grate. Oh, it's comfortably great. I don't know if I want to call it great. It's good. Oh, comfortably gooding. Sure. It is. It's very smooth. It is. It's maybe the smoothest one, not counting Heart of Glass. Like, it and Heart of Glass are like your two smooth songs. Where, like, her voice just, like, is like silk. I think you're right. Well, I would make a case for Will Anything Happen, maybe, too. Okay, yeah. I, uh, yeah. But we'll get there in just a second. It is funny that it's so smooth because, yeah, the song is all about wanting to stay alive. Like, today could be the end of me, and we're almost there. We're almost at the end of the day. I just want to stay alive. What I really like about it is that, like, she uses some very syllable heavy words she uses a lot of very syllable heavy words and like complex words that you could have done very like staccato-y or something but she like just rolls over them like they kind of like like very smooth like silk you know sidewalk social scientists don't get no satisfaction from your cigarette like which is a rolling stones reference if ever i heard one yeah but like the way she just glides over that line right it's pretty good one thing you can't really deny i mean repeating chords and you know other decisions aside debbie harry's got a voice you know, there's a yeah. reason Blondie really blew up, and she's a good singer. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, let's let's kick it back to Will Anything Happen? Track eight. I think this one has a good sense of back and forth, you know, between the main riff and the pull of the lyrics, right? This, if you do, will anything happen? Like, we kind of go back and forth. We go back and forth, and will it come true? Will I see you again? Like, there's always this this back and forth to it. Yeah. And the reason I didn't rope this one in with 1159 and Hearted Glass is because the instrumentals are so much more rock-heavy. It's true. So I guess, yeah, her voice is still kind of smooth there, but it's kind of masked by the instrumentals yeah well but the vocal harmonies are back here for i think one of the strongest stretches that they have Mm. with the will i see you agains i think that's probably one of the best yeah bits of harmony on the album this song is an inquiry into the relationship stability you know if you make it big if you change your ways is anything going to happen to our relationship will i see you again or will we be able to keep things going in light of changes I really like that sentiment, and I think it introduces this whole new direction, this dimension to the album that we really haven't seen yet. And then, of course, there's a final stinger, a little pivot. If I do see you again, will anything happen? Like, maybe maybe nothing happens in the intermediate period, but 
when I see you again, what changes? I like it. For me, oh no, I know you had good things to say for this one. Just kind of existed for me. Well, I mean, yeah, it's there. It wasn't as good as some of the other ones we talked about, and I don't think it's as good as Sunday Girl. You don't? Okay, no. interesting. I think that's a tough race. If we were doing a bracket challenge with those two songs, I don't know who would win for me. Well, according to Spotify, Sunday Girl would win 1.6 million versus 17 million. So Well, yeah, that's not very close then. <laughs> no. <laughs> Sunday Girl started off with more of a Latin-inspired groove, but the band says over time it morphed into this song, as it would now be known. It topped the UK charts in 1979 for three weeks, which is pretty wild. Actually, fun fact about this one is, is Chris Stein wrote all the lyrics, but he was too nervous to actually take the reins. So he asked Debbie Harry to take credit for it. She didn't obviously, or if she did, it wasn't a forever thing because we know how it all went down now. I think this song is nothing to be ashamed of. You know, I think this is a a pretty solid one. Yeah. It's about this girl that feels like she has to live the perfect life, check all these boxes, and it leaves her feeling stifled, really, really kind of stuck. This is a song I recognized, actually. I didn't realize I knew it, and I don't know what I knew it from, but I recognized it when I started listening to it. That that melody, the falling melody at the beginning of each verse. Yeah. I, I recognized that. Interesting. And I just love how her voice slides everywhere on this one from note to note. Yeah, I know. It sounds really good. Uh, That melody is pretty catchy. One of the, it's a weird blend of catchy, but not necessarily the most memorable. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I don't know how to put it, but yeah, that's kind of where it is. It's really sing-songy for me. Kind of reminiscent of 1159 or Picture This, Mm -hmm. but the subject matter is a little, you know, here, a little more personal. Plus that chorus never seems to hit as hard as I want it to. It always just kind of... It's a little too plush. Mm, really? I think so. It honestly, and I don't know why, it gave me Beach Boys vibes. Mm, I think that's the guitar's fault. Yeah, I think it's the guitar's fault. And again, kind of like you said, the more sing-songy lyrics. Absolutely. But like, the, I know I really hated on the Beach Boys. You really, you did. It gave me the Beach Boy vibes of what like I expected the Beach Boys album to be like versus what it actually was. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot. I forgot how much you hated the Beach Boys till you said that. Yeah, that was a rough one. Yeah, if anything, uh, I think we have our first um, award in a while. Our first spin it award don't for the give, trophy case. Don't, don't give Blondie the best Beach Boys song. <laughs> yes, that's absolutely what they're getting. They're getting the, 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 the best uh, Beach Boys song award. Unbelievable. <laughs> you, you, but, but wouldn't it be nice? Yeah, I mean, you're right. Maybe they should just get the Beach Boys award rather than call out the best song. I said we just call it the best Beach Boy award. <laughs> Blondie is the best Beach Boy. Whatever you say, <laughs> I guess. Let's do it. Let's talk about the song that put Blondie on the spin cycle in yes. the first place. Track 10, Heart of Glass. Is it familiar? <laughs> right. This- <laughs> There's the lyrics. Once I had love and it was a gas. This was, I think this is, might be the first time we've ever talked about the same song twice. But this is cool because now we can compare versions of it. Mm-hmm. This is a much smoother sing-songy, ver- like airy version, whereas Miley Cyrus's is more punk. I like them both. It's true. I honestly like them both, too. Which one do you like more, though? That'll be the fun. Definitive spin it answer. Who did it better? Oh, this, I, I, maybe an, I don't know if you'll like that answer or not. I don't know. What's your answer? We'll get there. I, I know this maybe isn't the biggest song on the record. I kind of would argue that one way or another eclipsed it, just in terms of popularity and well-knownness. Barely. And by barely, I mean double the plays on Spotify. But uh, Barely. <laughs> to be fair... To be fair, One Way or Another has 232 million, Heart of Glass has 114 million, and the next closest is Hanging on the Telephone with 21, so... It's not close. Both of them are, like, in the stratosphere compared to the rest of the album. Right. I would argue, technically, that Heart of Glass may be the best song on the album. No, I agree. Absolutely. I think it, it doesn't have that same repetitivity that One Way has, but it's got the same amount of catchiness, and it carries that same level of punch. I'd agree with you. Rolling Stone called Heart of Glass number 255 on their 500 Greatest Songs of All Time list. Whoa. In the UK alone, it sold 1.3 million copies. And this was really the breakout single for Blondie, the one that drew them out of the underground status and turned them into a mainstream band. Its initial title was Once I Had a Love, but they often subtitled that as the disco song because the song used to have a much more disco style. That version does exist, by the way. You can find it on other deluxe editions of the album. Mm. Even on one of the album's Spotify editions, I think, has Once I Had a Love. Yeah. The lyrics, according to Debbie Harry, aren't really about anybody specifically. 
They're just more generally about lost love and all the feelings that go along with it. Yeah. I think the chorus is really what does the best job of keeping this song moving. The verses are great, and, and once again, like, super sing-songy, but the choruses are what keep it grounded. Sure. And they're not choruses that get forgotten, like some of the earlier ones on this album, Fade Away and Radiate. You know what I mean? The chorus sticks. Well, and they are my favorite, uh, you know, version of the chorus, which is that they have different lyrics. <laughs> right. Yeah, that's a big thing for you. That's a selling point. That's a selling point. That's a feature. Yeah, I like the song, and honestly, I'm going to throw it out there now officially. I like the Blondie version better than Miley's live version. No, I agree. Yeah, that's why I was waiting for you to hear. Okay, well, good. Maybe it's just because I was familiar with this version before Miley's version, so maybe I'm biased. But the punk version, it works for most of the song, but not quite all of the song, if that right. makes sense. Yeah, it does. It, it definitely does. If you're curious what we're talking about, you listened to the Miley Cyrus episode and went, what song is that? Well... We talked about it on our B-side cut for episode 20 on our website. Did the extended version in the B-side. With bonus tracks. www.spinitpod.com Yeah, so that's where the first analysis is. But this is us returning to it and saying this one's better. I guess so if, if you want a version that we think is worse, go check that one out. <laughs> and what's funny to me is to move from this song this like career pinnacle hit for Blondie into I'm Gonna Love You Too, which is just kind of a weird jarring start. With the ah, ah, ahs, you know what I mean? Yeah. Again, there's another one I recognize, and I'm not sure from where. Really? Yeah. Just, again, that intro, and then the ba 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 da ba 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 like that melody, just, it stuck out to me. Yeah. It's chanty. I think that little pause in the phrasing of the verses is pretty perfect. Pretty perfect. Yeah. The chorus, or the refrain, or whatever you want to call it, I, I think that's kind of terribly underwhelming compared to the rest of the verse. With the, you're going to say you miss me. And then we get to the refrain, I'm going to love you too. That's that's kind of boring. You know what I mean? That yeah. doesn't land right. I do think this song features one of the best guitar solos on the album, pretty undeniably for me. Sure. It's a fun song. Probably the most lighthearted song on the record after one of the heaviest emotional songs. Mm-hmm. And it's just weird to have them back to back, but I don't I don't think it doesn't work. I don't know where else you would have put it. Exactly. It's a good song to wind us down a little bit. It's only two minutes and ten seconds, but yeah. it does its job. That's fair. Hey, James. What? What do you usually say when somebody knocks on your door? Come in. Well, all right then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know about you. I live in America, and here in America, we tell anybody that knocks on our door, just go away. Just go away. The closing track. I think it's pretty funny to end a record with this. I gotta be honest. I think that's hilarious. It's pretty funny. Just go away. Get out of here. We're done. It's over. Go home. Go home. (laughs) Why are you here? (laughs) It has a great end credits feel to it you know something about the way that they engineer this just feels like a curtain call for me lyrically the verses are just kind of whatever on this song they really just don't do much there now you were talking about lines of certified poetry and there was a line on this song that i absolutely loved is it about your foot being firmly entrenched where a molar should be yes is that not an awesome line it's pretty wild it's, it's what a way to say you got your foot in your mouth. I mean, just everything about that one. The image is great, you know, it playing off of the foot in the mouth thing that everybody knows. But just the way it's said, I mean, using the word firmly entrenched and not just saying where your teeth should be, but calling out the molar specific. I don't know. It was, it was perfect. Great line. That is a great line. Although counterpoint, we've got lines like, of course, cool rhymes with fool. And I don't know how to feel. That one feels like the music man. Feels like trouble. Starts with a T and that rhymes with P. Rhymes like, with okay, P and that stands for no cool. Correlation. There's no correlation between cool with fool. <laughs> That's not it. The, the correlation is that they're both letters and that he needed a way to associate pool with trouble. Right. And so Blondie's <laughs> doing the same thing to associate fools with cool and that's just not i'm not getting swindled you're not harold hill and me debbie but what if you lose your medicaid don't get mad don't get mad at debbie right i i don't know the chorus those background vocal fills are pretty nice and i like the ambient guitar throughout this that never really make themselves into a feature but they're also super prominent i think that guitar does a lot for the song i like it you know i, I like just go away yeah is that your official stance on it it is liked all right well, i think that means it's time for final spin oh yeah i thought we were gonna actually like end with the final ramp there i thought you were gonna just keep it big but i guess not subverted your expectations yeah it did i keep them guessing you don't know what i'm gonna do next but it'll be significant that's the scary part i like this album <laughs> musically for me there's a lot going on here the the two chord thing and the repeating melodic motifs get a bit much but 
It's hard to deny that songs like Hanging on the Telephone, One Way or Another, Heart of Glass, you know, you can't call those bad musical songs. They're so sing-alongable. So I think sing-songy is a great word for it. And it's a fun album to listen to. I don't really get bored with it. Even if most of it doesn't necessarily leave the biggest impression, this is this feels like an album I could go back to any time, at any part of it, jump in and be like with it, you know? Which is kind of a unique feature, and I like it well enough. I don't think it does anything too unexpected. So I don't know. I'm giving music an 82. 82. Lyrically, again, it's just a, a an up and a down and all over the place of lyrics. <laughs> Some of the, the, the firmly entrenched up with the cool rhymes with fool. You know what I mean? That's the perfect illustration for just how over the place this is. I was really stuck on lyrics. And I think at the end of the day, the way it shakes out is that there are 77. I think the, the bad kind of drags down the good a little too far. Mm. Instruments in production, I, again, just still don't know how to feel. This album, I never know how to feel about it. <laughs> The instruments are all good, you know? I, I like a lot of these guitar parts that I've complimented a couple times. The organs and spots where they put them, they were pretty good. But some of the, like, Fade Away and Radiate was just a little bit flimsy, you know? Uh, some of these other songs are almost too short, I think. Especially, like, I'm Gonna Love You Too is just two minutes. It flies by, and it's kind of, I don't know, some of these songs were gritty and abrasive, like we talked about. Some of them are smooth and stuff. I guess that's part of the parallel lines of it all. They never cross. There's like separate things going on. But musically, instruments of production, I'm given a 79. Really? That's a little low for what I expected. I think I disagree with that number. Okay. I, I, I don't know. Again, I don't know quite how I feel about it, but that's just kind of what felt right. I tried out a couple different numbers for size. 79 felt right. Overall vibe, this album's good. I like this album and I was glad that we had it on the spin cycle because I think it's a worthwhile one to know. I'm giving it an 81 for vibe. I don't know if I can exactly explain why. Fair enough. But that puts its overall score at an 81 points even. Oh, wow. Even. Mm Mm-hmm. That lands it at number 373. Interesting. Mm Mm-hmm. I think I like this one a little more than you did then. You might have. Now, here's the real kicker. Here's the real thing I want you to take notes about. This one ends up below Plastic Hearts for me. Yeah. Which earned an 81.1 and landed at number 366. Mm-hmm. They're very close to each other. But I think that's a difference in energy for me, right? I think this one has a lot of the grit and the speed that Plastic Hearts had. But this one lacks a lot of the bite. You know, Plastic Hearts, was it had some hardness to it. That This one is just kind of soft around the edges in a certain way. And I'm not sure that I like the softness as well on this one. Mm. All that did was remind me of how disappointingly low Plastic Hearts was. I took note of that. <laughs> so noted. <laughs> My playlist pick, I guess I'll throw the burden on you and take Heart of Glass. Mm. We didn't take Miley Cyrus's Heart of Glass. So no. in honor of it being the first song we've ever talked about twice, might as well. Might as well get it on the playlist. Yeah. Okay, well for me... Yeah, I liked this album. It, it was weird because I liked all this. I actually had a difficult time with my top three because I liked a lot of the songs, but none of them stood out really. It was just an easygoing album for me, I guess. It, is. it just kind of went by. And so I had um, I had a couple that were easy to put on the playlist or on the top three, but then I had a couple spots that weren't so much as easy. My top three in album order, one way or another, Conorable Mention going to 11.59. Oh my gosh. Quite Hold a on. jump. Oh, wow. Yeah. That, we passed up some hits. We did. Next up, Sunday Girl. And finally, Heart of Glass. Oh no, I don't think I should have taken the one I took. Take your, make your playlist pick and I'll tell you if I have regrets. So the reason Sunday Girl and 1159 make it on there instead of things like Picture This or Hanging on the Telephone, uh, just the the instrumental melodies, I think, were more interesting in those two songs. Yeah. And so that made them stand out more. But for me, the playlist pick, yeah, I guess I'll just go, we'll keep it simple, we'll go with one way or another. Okay. Why not? Just take the two take the two most notable ones from the album. By far. I d I don't know if I could choose between eleven fifty nine and Sunday Girl. So we'll just go with the other one. <laughs> yeah. Well that's fair enough. That's a good enough rationale. As for my score, this one gets eight godlike geniuses out of ten for me. <laughs> <laughs> well, Blondie won the award in two thousand fourteen, so yeah. I guess it's justified. Eight is about where I figured you'd put this. Mm-hmm. This one's going to sit right above Golden Hour, I think. Okay. 
a close encounter with Golden Hour. <laughs> close encounter with the Musgrave kind, which is coincidentally yeah. where the aliens first came up. <laughs> yeah, she's the first one that believed in aliens. So right by Joan Jett, actually, in the same neighborhood, which is... In the same neighborhood, yeah. Kind of funny, because they were at a party together. They were at a wedding together, not dressed as peanut characters. That we know of. <laughs> as always, if you can find proof that it was true, I'll give you your point back. <laughs> Fair enough. I'm still trying to get Joan Jett to name her cats the Runaways. So, so it's it's needless to say for you, this is well below Plastic Hearts. Oh well, yeah, as a total album, mm-hmm. Plastic Hearts is near the top of your nines. So for this one to be yeah. mid eights, it's pretty telling. Dude, my nines are stacked. I know your your nines are a, are a elite company. Well, that's gonna do it for this episode of Spin It. We will see you next week when we've got another album coming up that is nothing like this album. <laughs> they almost never are. They almost never are, and that's the way we like it. I'm just excited to talk about the Blue Man Group. Well, they're coming. Yeah, they'll be mentioned. They will be mentioned. Stay tuned. If you're curious about what we're up to, if you want more Spin It content in your life, because who doesn't? I know we do, which is why we yeah. continue to do this every week. That's why we keep making it. Yeah. You can find <laughs> us on Twitter, at Spin It Pod, on Instagram, at Spin It Pod Official, and at our website, like we already mentioned, www.spinitpod.com. And on Twitch, do the Twitch thing. We do, and uh, I want to do another live episode soon mm-hmm. that will actually be a live episode and not like a bracket like our last time. We'll see. Halloween's coming up. October's coming up. We've got some plans. Keep an eye out. Keep an eye out. So before you just go away, we only have one more thing to say to you, and you know what it is. That almost rhymed if you'd left off the to you. Oh, okay. Well, I can... Okay, fine. I'll make it rhyme. Mm-hmm. Before you just go away, we only have one thing to say. Keep spinning. Keep spinning. All right. I don't got time for post-episode banter. I've got to go get some M&Ms. Okay, fair enough. Get out of here. Go get your M&Ms. Go listen to Domo Arigato, Mr. Roboto. Just scratch all <laughs> the itches. One way or another, I'm going to get those M&Ms. <laughs> Pic- picture this. Me with M&Ms. <laughs> Listening to Domo Arigato.